All right, well, good morning, and uh, have you guys back from Arizona. I uh, was thinking that if you weren't here last week, you might be a little bit confused um, because the two sermons build upon one another, but I'll try to try to give you all a little bit of background and then um, uh, invite you to look at the one from last week on YouTube if you're interested in, in knowing any more about this. But um, so basically, last week we started out by discussing the parallels between the story of Joseph in the uh, book of Genesis and Jesus. And, uh, and the point of that was to show how many parallels and how rich those parallels are um, so that we can now do what we're going to do this week, which is extrapolate that understanding forward using the uh, seven-year famine, the Egyptian famine in the book of Genesis, and comparing that to the seven-year tribulation. And, um, and, and the point of that is to help us build our faith and sort of solidify two major points of doctrine uh, regarding the end times that Rex talked about uh, during his sermon series on the, the book of Revelation last fall. And, uh, and so the two, the two major points that I want to, I hope to confirm using uh, sort of this third source of confirmation through the the Genesis account of Joseph and the, and the famine, the tribulation, are, uh, I think these two points are very important and they're related, um, but as far as giving us peace as we live in a world that seems, you know, quite chaotic at times. And, um, and so first, the first point is, and one of the questions within um, Christian circles is the question of when does the rapture occur? And, uh, and we talked last week about how after Joseph, our type of Christ, uh, went to Egypt and he was imprisoned, falsely accused. He was brought up uh, by Pharaoh um, to interpret a dream. And he was then raised up to number two in the kingdom, just like Christ was raised up to number two uh, with uh, God, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Right after that, we saw that he takes a bride, an Egyptian bride or a Gentile bride. And this occurs prior to the famine, um, which we are comparing the famine of the Egyptian story to the seven-year tribulation. Um, so that's the first thing, is, is the confirmation of the, um, the pre-tribulation rapture, which is the most biblical um, interpretation of, uh, of, the, of the rapture. Uh, but also to support that, uh, supporting the pre-tribulation rapture of the church then, we need to understand who it is that Scripture talks about uh, that go through the tribulation. Jesus describes uh, them in Matthew. John also describes them in Revelation. Uh, in Revelation, John talks about the beast. He prevents people from buying and selling if they don't take the mark of the beast, 666. Uh, he makes wars on the saints, and he kills them for not, uh, for not um, worshiping him. And uh, that's found in Revelation chapter 13. So... Uh, you know, if we're to, I think this is where the sources of confusion, where people will say, you know, wait a minute, I, who are these people that are going through the tribulation? Who are these believers? So to start, I'm going to read to you uh, in Matthew chapter 24, and uh, and I apologize because I never switched to NIV, so I'm using New King James, um, but. Um, we're going to look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24 about the end times. 
um, starting in verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And I think we could, we could say that quite accurately, that we are living now in the time, the beginning of the sorrows. If you think about, I actually did a search of historic wars. And the wars of the 19th century, or I guess you'd call it the 20th century, the 1900s, starting with World War I and uh, World War II, were the most devastating wars ever because of the mechanized warfare. There were wars, for instance, in China that had a, a, a larger body count. They, were, they lasted well over 100 years and things like that. So in, in terms of the, um, the ability of mankind to inflict pain on one another, um, the, uh, the famines, the earthquakes, we see all these things. And, and you know, some people would observe that you know, we're seeing more floods and all kinds of world war, worldwide catastrophe. Um, so I, I think it's accurate to say that we are in the beginning of sorrows, period. Um, then Jesus goes on in verse 9, he says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures till the end shall be saved. Okay, so there's... There's this idea that, you know, there's this big endurance match here. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and of course we know that that is halfway through the tribulation when the Antichrist uh, puts himself up in the temple to be worshipped. Uh, Jesus goes on, he says, And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world. Until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Okay, so I have heard people take this out of context and say, geez, you know, when the end comes, I mean, you better not even go back to your house to get your coat. You better run for the hills and, and uh, you know, all these sorts of things. Hope you're not pregnant and so forth. But we need to look carefully at this because at this point in time, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he is speaking to Jews. At this point, there really hasn't been, the Christian faith hasn't been extended to the Gentiles. And if you look carefully in verse 16, it says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Well, who lives in Judea? Jews, right? Okay, so Jesus is warning the Jews. He's not, this is not addressing us. So, so I, I, I think that it's very important for us to understand because, um, your beliefs regarding Old Testament prophecy of revelations will inform your life. I, like I said, I've, I grew up in the church and I've known people who said, you know, we're going to have to live through the tribulation and we're going to have to go live in caves and we're going to have to have guns and we're going to have to hide from the Antichrist. And, and, you know, geez, I hope we don't have to, you know, we're not barred from buying and selling and 
We're going to have to take the mark of the beast, et cetera, et cetera. Believer, this is not for you. So that, that is a great hope for us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, as, as far as my understanding of Scripture goes, you will be part of the rapture, and you will be Christ's bride, protected and pulled out before these events. So I hope that gives you great encouragement. And so we're going to look as we go through uh, the rest of the Joseph story, we're going to look at, at these things as kind of proofs of that. Um, I also want to point out, you know, um, the Israelites are called God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And God is, he does not ever break his word. He doesn't make a promise and then back off of it or, or promise that, that they're going to be his chosen people and then decide, well, never mind, you guys aren't so good. I think I'll switch to the church or something like that. Uh, God still has a place for the Jews. He, ha- he is dealing with the Gentile church differently than he is dealing with the Israelite nation. Um, so Israel has rejected him, but God is not done with him. There is a heresy um, that comes from the old Catholic church that indicates that God's blessings and everything has been transferred onto the church. But um, I would say that when you read Old Testament and you see all of God's blessings and stuff, understand that that is God's nature, and he wants that for those that he loves. But that doesn't mean that those blessings are taken away from the Jews. It just means that they're extended to us. So that's very important. You know, the Jews, God still loves them. He loves all people. So, you know, further proof of this, right after this part in Matthew 24, Jesus tells the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And uh, if you remember this, um, you know, in, in Old Testament, or in, in biblical times, uh, the groom would go away, the bridesmaids were supposed to get ready, and she wouldn't know when he was going to come back, but she needed to be ready for him. And so there's these ten bridesmaids, the bride. Uh, they have their lamps. Um, the foolish ones had their lamps, but they didn't put any oil in them. And the wise ones put oil in their lamps. Uh, the bridegroom was late. They, they were sleeping. And uh, then at midnight, he shows up and they cry out, you know, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then the, all the virgins got up and the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise said, no, we only have enough for ourselves. And they went out. They, so the bridegroom came to them, and they went into the wedding feast, and the doors were shut, and they were kept out. Okay, now the important part of this is to say there are two different groups of brides, right? One was ready, and the other one was not. It says right here, um, verse 11, all, afterward, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Both of the groups of of brides were virgins. Both of them were acceptable to be brides. Just the first group wasn't ready. Okay, so that doesn't mean that they're not going to be his brides. They just didn't get to go into the wedding feast, which, by the way, think about what happens at the rapture. We go to be with the Lord at the wedding feast, right? So, um, so the purpose then of the tribulation and what we're going to look at through the Joseph story is the salvation of the Israelites. It's a, they, they have to basically prove their love because they have rejected him and they weren't ready for him. Where we who do love the Lord will be in the rapture. And so we'll look at that. But, uh, I'm going to take a, give a couple passages out of Romans chapter 11. Um, 
this is a great, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. We don't have time for that, but uh, this is Paul. He says, I asked, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. He goes on in verse 11. He says, again, I asked, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Speaking of the Jews, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches, riches will their full inclusion bring? So Paul points to the fact that they will be included in the kingdom of heaven. They just are out right now, okay? And then in verse 29, he says, For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. They're not taking it away from them. Just as you, Gentiles, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of the Jews' disobedience, so they too, the Jews, have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. Okay, so, so Paul is telling us, God's not done with the Jews yet. Okay, so that is the purpose of the tribulation. So we're going to look at this. Um, just like we did last week, I would uh, ask you all, if you want to follow along, you're welcome to um, go to Genesis chapter 41. And we're going to just kind of go through the story here and look at some comparisons. So uh, in Genesis 41, verses 53, uh, it says, Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended. So this is after Joseph is raised up. He's storing storing up that immeasurable grain, um, again, indicative of the time we now live uh, leading up to the famine or the tribulation. Um, and seven years began to come a famine. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. Uh, and then skipping down um, to verse 56, the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became very severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Okay, so we know that uh, from our study in Revelations that one of the first things that happens in the tribulation are the seal judgments. And the third seal is scarcity on earth. Okay, so this is, this is one of the first things that happens in the tribulation is essentially famine. So in verse uh, chapter 42, uh, reading on, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So the brothers needed to go to Joseph to buy from Joseph to live, just like we need to come to Jesus to live. In John chapter 11, uh, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, and this is at the raising of uh, Lazarus at the tomb, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So the next thing we see in back in Genesis, um, the ten brothers went down to buy grain uh, from Joseph, but Jacob, their father, he didn't go with them, and he didn't send Benjamin, the youngest. Um, and so uh, it says in verse 6, Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sowed to all the people of the land. 
And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them. So this, in this we see Joseph's dream that he would, his brothers would bow down to him being fulfilled, just like we know uh, from Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 11. It tells us about Jesus. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we know that's not happening today, right? Not everybody acknowledges Jesus Christ. But one day the scriptures tell us that that will happen, that, that Jesus' prophecy that he will be, um, that every knee will bow, will be fulfilled. The next thing we see back in Genesis chapter 42 um, again, they don't know that Joseph is their brother. Um, it says he, he spoke roughly to them, and he said, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. So he accuses them of being spies, which I think back in those days certainly would have been a capital punishment uh, so I'm sure that they were not too happy about this powerful man accusing them of being spies. So in the same way that Joseph is now going to put his brothers to the test and treat them roughly because of their sin, they have abandoned him. They betrayed him. They, they sold him into slavery. Um, they, like the bridesmaids, you know, have been excluded, and they're going to have to prove themselves. And then, as I said, that's the point of the tribulation. So the Jews will go through the great tribulation, not, not the church. Um, looking at Revelation chapter 12, you might remember this is kind of an allegorical description of uh, what happens in uh, the end times. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. So we know who this is, right? The 12 stars are the 12 tribes of Israel. So this, is, this woman is Israel. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on its heads. So we know who this is. This is Satan, right? The dragon. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. That's the, uh, the angels that have become the demons and fell. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Remember what happened in, of course, the birth of Christ. Herod tried to kill Jesus, and in fact, he killed all the babies in that town. They just snuck out and, and escaped Egypt for safety. So she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And by the way, that, that image of Jesus ruling with an iron scepter is given to us in other places in Revelations. And her child was snatched up to God in his throne. Okay, the ascension, right? Her child went up to heaven. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. If you do the math on that, that's exactly three and a half years. Okay, So this is the halfway point of the tribulation. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Okay, So, so we see here that the woman 
has to go through the 1260 days, okay? And, and that the dragon will be pursuing her. And, uh, and she is, of course, the woman, the 12 tribes, the one who birthed the Messiah. Um, so back to Genesis 42. Uh, Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies. They said to him in verse 10, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said, No, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. In fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. Okay, so um, oh, I did read on. So Joseph said to them, uh, your spies, I'm going to kind of skip ahead here. Um, in this manner, you'll be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. So he sets up a test. He says, I want to see if these guys are telling the truth. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. So we see this testing. Jo Joseph, our, our type of Christ, is testing the brothers. Um, just like Israel will be persecuted. And again, this is in Revelation chapter 13. Um, this is talking about the Antichrist now. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months, which is yet another way of saying three and a half years. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Okay, so here we see the Antichrist, you know, pursuing and, and, uh, and killing those that are not worshiping him. Back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, uh, so he puts the brothers in prison for three days. Then Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. But you, go and carry grain for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. Okay, in the same way that Joseph restores the brothers on the third day, unknown to them. They don't know who he is yet, right? In the same way, Jesus restored Israel on the third day, and they don't know that yet either. Jesus said to them, this is what I, and by the way, this is after the resurrection. This is when he is with the disciples at the very end of the book. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus told him, he said, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Everything that Moses said, everything that needed to happen has happened in me, and I was raised from the dead. Because remember, they didn't even get that. When Jesus was being crucified, they just ran away because they were like, uh, this wasn't supposed to turn out this way. 
And so, so they, you know, Jesus had to explain that to them. So Israel was restored when Christ was raised, just like all of mankind, just unknown to them. Okay, so back to Genesis 42 uh, in verse 21. Uh, so he tells them they got to go back, leaving one of their brothers as a hostage, but then bringing the youngest brother back uh, so he can see if they're actually being honest with him or not. And so it says, and they did so. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon them. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. So they're talking about, of course, when they uh, threw Joseph in the pit and sold him into slavery. Um, and Reuben, you know, tried to keep them from doing it and so forth. Um, so they're starting to feel the conviction from their sin. They're, they're, they're feeling the guilt. Um, and so Joseph, through his testing and saying, you know, you got to bring the brother down to me and I'm going to hold one of you in prison. They're realizing this is somehow a judgment from God. Um, but Joseph saves them, even though they betrayed them. He still gives them the grain to take back to their families in, in Canaan. In the same way, we know that Jesus, you know, when he was hanging on the cross, we read this one last week, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. You know, he forgave until the end. Um, and so, the, you know, Christ on the cross is a, is a symbol of conviction to mankind uh, who has betrayed him. And notice what Reuben said back there. He said, uh, uh, I told you not to do this, therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. They realize that, you know, they're, they're, this is a punishment for what they've done. And it's pretty interesting because remember what the people of Israel said when Pilate said, look, I don't have any grounds to convict this man. He's innocent. You know, I, I'll let you have, uh, why don't you hang Barabbas instead and I'll let you have this guy back. And they said, no, no, crucify him. And the people at that point in Matthew 27 said, let his blood be upon us. Just like Reuben said, his blood is upon us. So the people unknowingly cursed themselves uh, by saying that they are guilty of the blood of Christ. But again, because um, Jesus is loving and kind, so is Joseph. Joseph could have, at this point, he could have had the brothers arrested and all of them executed and felt very justified in doing so. But he didn't. Um, in, uh, in verse uh, 25, it says, Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to my brother, my money has been restored. There it is. When their hearts failed him, they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? So not only did he give them the physical bread, but he didn't charge them for it. Uh, and we know that Jesus, of course, is where Joseph provided his brother's physical bread. Jesus provides us spiritual bread. Uh, he says in John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And so, so Jesus is our provision spiritually. And just like this bread had no cost, Joseph gave them their money back. We know that salvation is freely given. In Romans 5.18, Paul tells us that through one man's righteous act, 
the free gift came to all men. So the brothers go back to Canaan. They've left Simeon uh, behind as a hostage. And um, they go to Jacob, and they said, man, we've had a tough time. The guy up there, he, he spoke roughly to us. He uh, asked us all these questions, and now he's holding Simeon as a hostage, and he wants us to bring Benjamin back with us next time we go. And Jacob is not really happy about this. Uh, he says, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me, he says in verse 36. And um, so Reuben tells him, he says, look, he says, kill my two sons. If I don't bring him back to you, put him in my hands and I'll bring him back to you saying, you know, trust me, I'll take Benjamin. It doesn't sound like a good deal. You know, go kill my, kill your grandsons for this bargain too. But, but he's, you know, he's, he's making an oath basically. It says, I'll, I will bring Benjamin back safely. But in verse 38, uh, Jacob says, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead. And he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. So at this point, Jacob's not willing to let Benjamin return to uh, Egypt. So there's kind of delay. Then we read in verse thir- uh, 1 of chapter 43, Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they'd eaten up all the grain they had brought back from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, and remember who Judah is, by the way. Judah is the one that said, why don't we sell him as a slave? Um, so he was really the, ultimately the betrayer. He could have listened to Reuben and said, all right, let's, okay, game's over. Let's pull him up out of the pit. We had our fun. But instead, they sold him into slavery. Um, and so uh, Judah speaks to him and says, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy you food. But if you'll not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And so there's kind of this arguing back and forth. What are we going to do? And so the brothers are delaying coming uh, back to Joseph. And in the same way, Israel right now is delaying coming to Jesus, right? They they, uh, have been told who he is, but they have rejected him. Um, but we do see in in times prophecy in Revelations chapter seven that uh, that they will not delay forever. This is right after the um, the, the seal judgments um, is the calling of the hundred forty four thousand. It says, "Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea." He said, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, and this is very specific language, from all the tribes of Israel, right? So like where the Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, think they're 144,000, they're American citizens. They are not from the tribes of Israel. And then it goes on to list, you know, 12,000 each from each of the tribes, starting with Judah and Reuben, our, our two characters here. So, um, so the point of that is that, uh, and, and then the next thing, by the way, when you look at scripture, if you, if you scoot to the very next section in that chapter is the next scene we read of, out of that last week where, um, all the believers of every tribe and tongue and nation are in the throne room praising God. Okay. And so while these Jews are down on earth getting sealed to be the servants of our Lord, 
there are those that are in heaven praising God. And who is that? That's us, the Gentile church. He's already been raptured. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not, when you read Revelation, it's not super clearly spelled out. That's why sometimes people struggle with that. But if you just look at the simple chronological sequence, it's like Jews on earth, believers in heaven. So at the same identical time in, in, in prophetic history or prophetic future, <laughs> I guess. So um, prophetic history, that's interesting. Okay, uh, so then we finally see um, Jacob consent to send uh, Benjamin because the, the boys just tell him, you know, we can't do this. Uh, so so they, uh, they do agree. Israel do, does agree to send him down. Um, so they, he said, okay, if this is what we have to do, then do this. Take some gifts, and he lists some honey and some balm, spices and myrrh. Uh, sounds very similar to the gifts that were given to to Christ by the wise men. And um, so the brothers come again in the midst of the famine. Uh, Jacob tells them to take twice as much money so they can pay him for the first time and have enough for the second time for the grain. Um, And he says, take your brother, arise, and go back to the man. This is in verse 13. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And so, um, in the same way that the brothers come in the middle of the famine to Joseph, we're seeing that Israel comes to faith in the middle of the tribulation. If we go to uh, Revelations 11.3, this is talking about the two witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, And he says, I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days closed in sackcloth. Again, this is the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. But after the three and a half days, this is, I skipped ahead here, the beast kills them, has them killed, and leaves them lay in the street uh, for three and a half days. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them, which that would be pretty terrifying. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies slept on, which is also pretty shocking. <laughs> so, uh, at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and note where they're at in Jerusalem and gave glory to the God of heaven. So the, the two witnesses were effective. They caused the people that didn't get killed by the earthquake to choose to give glory to God. And so, of course, this is right at the midpoint of the, of the tribulation. Um, so the other point that uh, is made back here in, in Genesis 43, uh, 15, 14, I'm sorry, uh, when Jacob is, is sending the brothers, he said, may God Almighty give you mercy before the man. Uh, just like we know that God gives us mercy through the Son of Man. First uh, Peter chapter 1, 3 to 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Okay, so so we know that God is merciful, even though, just like the brothers, we and the nation of Israel deserve punishment. Um, And, of course, they still don't even know who Joseph is in this case, just like the Jews don't know who Jesus is. Um, 
so skipping ahead, uh, they went down, uh, they took Benjamin and the presents and the double money, and they went down to Egypt. Uh, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. This would be pretty unusual. If you're a ruler of Egypt, you're not going to invite a bunch of smelly shepherd guys from Canaan into your home. You're just going to sell them some grain and get them out of there, basically. So this was an unusual move that Christ, who is so much greater than us, is always welcoming us, too. So the steward did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. So in the same way that Joseph really desired to break bread or to eat with his brothers, we know that Jesus wants to break bread with us. In Luke 22, when he's uh, giving the Last Supper, uh, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus says, I eagerly desire to break bread with you. And we know that, you know, uh, at the end of time in heaven, we're going to be at the wedding feast of the Lamb. It is going to be a party that will defeat all parties. It is going to be the best party ever. And everyone is invited. It's a question just like uh, the, the parable of, you know, the guy that had the feast and he invited people and they didn't show up. So he went up and down the ditches and found all the bums and got them to come down there. But he said, we're going to have a party. And when we're all invited and we're all going to be there if we have put our trust in Jesus. And so Joseph, uh, you know, he, he still wants a relationship with his brothers, even though they have wronged him. Um, so the steward uh, takes them and, and they talk about their money a little bit and, he says, don't worry about the money. You know, I had your money the first time. So they're kind of going, oh, well, uh, we did get the grain for free. And then he brings Simeon out. And then in verse 24, it says, so the man brought the men to Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. So to prepare to meet Joseph, the brothers needed to be washed, just like we need to be washed to meet Jesus. Uh, you remember from the, uh, right before the Last Supper, there's the washing of the feet when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And Peter said, Lord, are you doing this to me? He said, no, I don't think so. You're my Lord. I should wash your feet. And Jesus said, if you do not let me wash you, you have no part in me. So, um, so, you know, Jesus is the only one that can cleanse us and prepare us for that feast. So they, uh, they sit down to eat, and of course there's still this um, charade going on that, that he is presenting himself as an Egyptian lord. They don't know who he is. And so they, they have to sit in different tables. There's a segregated tabling, uh, table seating, apparently. Um, it's verse 32. Um, it talks about that. But um, in verse 29, it says, in, uh, Joseph lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And, and don't forget, uh, Jacob had, I think, four wives. So Benjamin and Joseph were the only sons of the last wife, essentially. So he's, he's the full brother, not a half-brother. Um, and Joseph says, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. 
He went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. He restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So in, in the same way that Joseph weeped over his brothers, we know that Jesus weeps for Israel. In uh, Matthew chapter 23, uh, it's, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, so Jesus, you know, he's kind of wiping off the dust. Like he says, if they won't accept him, he's moving on. But he says, you will see me again if you, if you say blessed to, to me. Um, so we see Christ's heart for the Jews. You know, they've, they've rejected him, but he, he, he's not done with them. He's not a, he's not a deal breaker. He's, he's solid on his side of the deal. So um, now in verse 43, um, at uh, verse 32, he, he feeds his brothers, um, and uh, he lines everybody up from, from the young, oldest to the youngest at the table. And they're looking at each other like, how does he know? You know, by that time, most of these guys are grown, and it'd be hard to tell who's the oldest. Um, then he took servings of food to them. Um, but Benjamin's serving was five times as many as theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. So he continues to provide for his brothers during the famine. He gives them grain, just like we know that Jesus will protect his people Israel during the tribulation. Uh, going back to Revelation 12, this is in the same chapter, the allegorical discussion of the, uh, the woman and the beast. Uh, toward the end of that chapter, it says, When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Okay, and we know the woman again is Israel, and the male child is Christ. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half the time, <laughs> out of the serpent's reach, okay? So a time is a year, times is two years, and a half a time, again, we're at the three-and-a-half-year mark. Um, so we see that, uh, that God is taking care of her, it says, um, for that three-and-a-half-year period while, while Satan rages. Okay, now we're in chapter 44 in Genesis. Um, so he's getting ready to send the brothers back north to Canaan with the grain. And now Joseph is going to put the brothers to the test. And um, so he commands the steward of his house. He says, fill the sacks up with food, put their money back in the sacks. But he says, also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So the servant did what Joseph had asked, and uh, the men took off with their donkeys. They hadn't got too far. Joseph said to his servant, get up, follow the men. When you catch them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is this not the one from which my Lord drinks the cup with which he practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So, so he sets a trap, essentially, a test. He puts his cup, his silver cup, in Benjamin's bag. So, he, uh, the steward does as uh, Joseph commands, and uh, he catches them, and they say, far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouse of our sacks. 
Why then would we steal silver and gold from your Lord's house? With whomever your servants the cup is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. They're saying, we didn't do that. There's no way we're going to do that to the man. Uh, and the steward said, let it be according to your words. He with whom the cup is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. So they uh, get their sacks, their saddlebags down, and they open them up. And uh, the steward searches from the oldest to the youngest, and he finds, of course, the cup in Benjamin's last. So that it says the brothers tore their clothes. Each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He was still there. They fell before him on the ground. And Joseph says, what have you done? Did you not know that a man such as I can certainly practice divination? And, of course, we know Christ, you know, divination kind of sounds like Old Testament magic arts, but we know, of course, Christ has um, supernatural powers of healing and uh, casting out demons, all the things that he did in, in the New Testament. So in the same way that Joseph has constructed this test, and when we're going to see what the test is, the tribulation is a test for the Jews. It is a test to see where their hearts are at. So we'll look at the test here. Judah says, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Um, so he, Judah is starting to recognize, he says, God has found out the iniquity. They, they, he's recognizing this is happening to us because of our sin. So uh, Judah has a private audience with uh, Joseph, starting in verse 18, and he kind of tells the story again. He says, you know, we came down, you asked us about our dad or our family, we told you. We said, we have a brother that's dead. We have a younger brother. Um, you know, we told you all these things. Uh, you required us to bring him down here. We said, the lad can't leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you made us do it. You said, unless your brother comes down with you, you, you shall see my face no more. So we went back to our father. We told him uh, what you said, and, and he said, go back and buy us some food. But we said, we can't go down unless we bring Benjamin with us. And uh, so in verse 27, he, uh, Judah goes on. He says, then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces. So he's talking about Joseph. And I've not seen him since. But if you take this one, Benjamin, also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. So that's what Jacob told Joseph, uh, Judah. So then Judah goes on, he says, Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with me, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, you know, uh, Jacob loves him so much, this is what's keeping him alive. He said, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So, um, skipping up to 33, now therefore, please let your servant remain, talking of himself, Judah. He says, I will stay instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. Let the lad go up with his brothers, for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Perhaps I will see the evil that would come upon my father. So, as we look at this, Joseph's test is a very crafty test because he knows, think about what happened. His brother's hearts, they were so self-centered and so hardened against uh, Joseph when he was uh, loved by um, 
Jacob loved the most, just like we know Jesus is loved by God. His brothers were so hardened by that that they did him harm. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. He might as well have been dead. He's dead to Jacob. Jacob hasn't seen him for years. And Joseph wants to know, is this what these guys will still do? So he says, I'm going to see if they'll throw Benjamin to the wolves as well to save themselves, just like they threw me in a pit. Um, so he gives them the choice to leave Benjamin behind uh, due to the cup thing. But instead, what he finds is repentance out of Judah. And Judah says, I can't do this to my father. So Judah recognizes that the sin that he did with uh, hurting Joseph and sending him away into slavery was sin against his father. Just like the scripture tells us that all sin that we commit is sin against the father. We will hurt other people with our sins, but it, ultimately our sin hurts God. And so Judah has come to a point of recognition and repentance, just like we know that Israel will repent of hurting the father. So this is a really a turning point in the story because finally Judah is confessing of what he's done wrong and, uh, and he is, uh, is standing up ready to bear the punishment. So now we're in chapter 45. Um, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him and cried out, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. So, so Joseph suddenly, no longer is he treating these men roughly. He breaks down and he cries because he sees the repentance of his brothers. So, so Joseph, our, our type of Jesus, Jesus Joseph reveals himself once, once he knows they're repentant. Just like Jesus will reveal himself to Israel when he knows that they're repentant. If you think about the introduction, Revelation chapter 1 starts out, it says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to his servant John to show the things which must shortly take place. So that's the whole point of that book, is, is to reveal Christ, if you look at Revelations. In the same way... Uh, he made everyone go out so no one was there except for his brothers. In the same way, Jesus, while, while Joseph didn't reveal himself to the Egyptians, Jesus is not going to reveal himself to the non-repentant people that are left on the planet in the tribulation. Um, you may recall Revelation chapter 9 after all these, I think it was the, the trumpet judgments. Um, it's, there are all these bad things that happened, but it says, the rest of mankind did not repent. So they're going to go through all these terrible things, but they're just going to get harder and harder and harder. Um, but the, the Jewish people will understand finally what it is and come to Christ in repentance. And, and, and what are they repenting from? From hurting their father. Just like Judah realizes what he did is hurts his father. And he says, I don't want to hurt my father anymore. And in the same way, the Israelites, they said, we've hurt your son. We don't want to hurt you anymore, Lord. Uh, so after he reveals himself, verse 3, then Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. <laughs> I'm sure they were. <laughs> uh, 
in the same way, the scripture tells us in Matthew 24, verses 29, uh, this is after the part we read earlier, uh, where Jesus is talking about the end times. Don't have that one? Okay. Uh, the, uh, I got it. Uh, oh, you're on, the, I'm sorry. So flip over to the back side of the page, Corey. Matthew 24, verses 29 to 31. Uh, Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory, of, of clouds of heaven with power and gl great glory. By the way, verse 31 is kind of cool here too. It says, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So where are the elect? They're in heaven already. So that's also very cool. Um, okay, so back to Genesis chapter 45, verse 4. Uh, they're dismayed in his presence, and Joseph says to his brothers, Please, come near to me. So they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So... Joseph doesn't blame his brothers. He rightly recognizes. He said, I had a job to do. God sent me out here ahead of you to save you. Just like we know that Jesus forgives everyone who betrayed him. And we know that he died for every one of our sins. Jesus, uh, you know, hung on the cross for the things that I did, for the things that you did. And so uh, he doesn't blame. He knows that he, that was what his mission was. Starting in verse 9 then, um, Joseph says to his brothers, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, flocks and herds, all you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And uh, skipping on ahead, he uh, fell on Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with him. Then the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come, so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. You're also commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. And do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So we see there that Pharaoh provides the way. He even sends carts for them to get there, to go get all the Israelites. And he says, you know, we're going to take care of you. In, in the same way that God provides the way for Israel, or all of us actually, to come to heaven. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So 
He provides the way, just like Pharaoh sent the carts. So they go uh, back up to uh, Canaan. Um, looking ahead to verse 26. They came to Jacob, their father, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Jacob hears from the sons that his son Joseph is alive, and he believes. In the same way, Israel hears and believes, or so we do, right? Uh, it says, how will they believe if they have not heard? So, so he hasn't seen Joseph yet, but he believes in him, that he's alive. Okay, so now we're in chapter 46. This is year three. Um, so he's, if you can look at Israel, again being Israel, Jacob is Israel. Um, he's not yet saved. This is the beginning of year three, but he is coming to faith. He believes now. So Israel took his journey with all he had, uh, and then God spoke to Israel in a vision, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Okay, so God is, is reassuring Jacob or Israel in the same way that, you know, Israel right now would think, uh, a good Jewish person would think it would be a heresy to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They've already condemned him and killed him as a heretic. And so here he's, he's reassuring him, this is the right choice, go see Joseph. And then he says, Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. This is symbolic of the fact that he says, he'll be there when you die, right? He'll close your eyes uh, to the Jews. So, so basically, God is telling us that, you know, he will be there for the Israelites when they die as well. So Jacob arrives, and they take the carts, uh, and they load their little ones, their wives, and they, uh, they head down to Egypt. And it says in verse 7, his sons and his son's sons, his daughters and his son's daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So I think that if you look at that, what this would indicate is that when the Israelites come to Jesus in the tribulation, it will be a very complete revival. I think virtually every uh, Israelite descendant will come to the Lord. If, if you read that, it says all of them, and it lists all these different ways. Um, so that's pretty neat, too. Um, and again, I would refer you to Romans chapter 11. We don't have time. That, you know, Paul gives a really good description there of, of how God intends to, to save the Israelites there. Um, so now skipping forward to verse 29 in chapter 46, um, it says, uh, they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. So, um, now we know that, again, this is about the middle of year three, right? According to our story, this is the third year of famine when Jacob finally comes down and he sees Joseph. Just like we know that the, the Israelites will figure out who Christ is at the middle of the tribulation. 
Um, okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit about the famine to wrap it up. Um, skipping to verse 13 of chapter 47, uh, there's, there's some discussion in here about how they're welcomed into Egypt and they're made herdsmen and there's, there's all kinds of neat parallels, but I don't have time to hit all that. Um, but I would encourage you again to read this. And by the way, I did bring some full copies of the notes that we used in our Bible study. If anybody wants to, to dig in and look at all of that, I have some copies today. Ask me afterwards or whatever. Um, okay, so in verse 13 of chapter 47, now there was no bread in all the land. The famine was very severe. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Okay, now we're going to switch to year four. So we're kind of leaving out of the part that discusses the coming of the brothers and, and going to just look at some characteristics of the tribulation here. Verse 15, when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread. For why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses, their flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for their donkeys. Thus he fed them with the bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. That's year four. Then year five, when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us in our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So you can see things are getting pretty severe um, at this point in the tribulation. And again, I would say at this point, you know, um, the Israelites are being persecuted, and perhaps they've all been killed. This is uh, not really clear, but obviously the point of the tribulation is a trial, and they, the Israelites, uh, are up to the challenge. They do come to the Lord. Um, so this is really just kind of talking about more like the seal and the bowl judgments. If we go to Revelation chapter 6, um, this is the third seal. It says, when the Lamb opened the third seal... I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand, which is how you would measure you know, gold dust or something like that to pay back in those days. Uh, then I heard what sounded like a voice among four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. And uh, let's go ahead and go to yeah, seven, eight. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was falling close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So that's pretty scary, um, but the thing about the, this is that the, the food, we notice in that that the money failed them, right? It says that uh, it's, you get a quart of wheat for a day's wages. I mean, I don't know how much a quart of wheat costs, but probably five bucks or something like that. So that's nowhere close to, say, I don't know, $100 a day or something like that. Um, so you can see that suddenly things are quite scarce, and there's uh, 
um, a, a lot of trouble with the money. And also, when it says, do not harm the oil and the wine, of course, in the Old Testament times, those would be indicative of things that were very expensive, uh, especially oil. Um, and so I think that what this is saying is, is in the tribulation, the wealthy would be unaffected. And, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this that I believe that we are living in the birth pangs now. And I don't know how long the birth pangs may be. It may be several centuries. It's hard. No one knows the day and the hour of Christ's coming. Um, but the point is, is that we can see all the signs of the things of the end being set up right now. I, I think, um, and again, what I wanted to encourage people is to not be fearful of the events of today, right? We see, for instance, um, the technology that is happening uh, in our country as far as, or the world for that matter, as far as identifying people through um, face recognition technology and different things like that. We can see that the pieces and parts are being assembled to where ultimately the Antichrist can control large populations. So uh, again, we can, we can face the, the reality that these things are going to come to pass without fear because we know that we will be taken out before that comes. But it also should uh, create in us a desire to see other people come to the Lord. And that's, that's why it kind of grabbed me there when I read about the seal judgments. Because if you think about, for instance, your unbelieving relatives or your unbelieving friends and coworkers, if they do not repent and come to Jesus for that living bread, they will be enduring those events. So it should inspire us to to share the gospel with people that are dying without him. And so I would just encourage you, you know, think about the, the consequences of not knowing the Lord and, and what people will have to go through. And, and I, I also think that it's somewhat clear that most of the people that enter the tribulation, if they don't accept the Lord now, most of the people that enter the tribulation will not. They will just harden their hearts against the Lord, except for the Jews uh, primarily. I'm not saying that that's completely true, but I think it's, it's relatively true. And we can see how polarized people have become in our country, too. I think there's, a, there's you know, just all the, the makings of this. Uh, with respect to the money, um, we know that in the Great Depression, a lot of money was lost, but they said the, richer, the rich got richer. Just like this talks about in the third seal, that... For the poor people to try to get some bread was tough. They said, do not harm the oil and the wine. So they're, they're um, and I, I think that you can, we have all seen, for instance, in this country, and it's not just this country, it's all over the world. They're running the printing presses like crazy right now. And anybody that understands monetary policy, you have to have the uh, assumption that they will crash our money at some point. There's no way that this is sustainable. So again, it is my firm conviction that we are, we are living in that time, the beginning of sorrows, and our time is short. So I would encourage you, you know, speak up for the Lord. He says, if anyone uh, denies me, I will deny him to the Father. But, it, you know, if we, if we speak for him, he, he will recognize that. So, so um I, I do think that, uh, just like Christ said, you know, the, the fields are, are ripe for the harvest, and uh, he's looking for workmen to, to spread the, the word. So, um, you know, I, I also would point out uh, in verse 47 back in Genesis, it said, uh, 
um, you know, if they don't get seed, it says we'll, we, we need to live and not die because uh, the land is desolate. And we know that if they didn't come to Joseph for grain, they were going to die, just like everyone who doesn't know Jesus will die. And they will die the second death, the eternal death. So, um, okay, to wrap up here then, um, at the end of this passage, uh, Jacob dies, um, and he says in verse 47, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 47, verse 29, uh, when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh, which I think is some kind of a, you know, uh, promise or a swearing type thing. Deal truly and kindly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. Of course, who are Jacob's fathers? They're Abraham and, you know, so he, Israel is saying, I want to be in heaven where they are. And so I think this is kind of the, the wrapping up confirmation that Israel will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Just like the, the patriarchs they had a faith in a future Jesus, a Messiah that was yet to come. We have a, Messiah, a faith in a Messiah who has come once and is coming again. So they will have faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you were in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Faith in Jesus is what assures that you will rest with the fathers and that we will rest with the Lord. In closing, uh, I'm going to flip up to Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse 15. Um, after Jacob dies, it says, Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sins for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. This is really cool what he says. He says Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. In the same way that Joseph forgave his brothers and, and uh, could have killed them, God's desire is to forgive you. Psalms 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. So, praise God, we have, we have a Savior who loves us, even though we despise him. Uh, he, his love for the Jewish people and, and the nation of Israel will never end. Um, I'm so thankful to be a, a member of the Bride of Christ that we have the assurance that we will not go through the tribulation. And, uh, and I, just, I just would uh, encourage everybody to invite as many people as you can to the wedding feast of the Lamb before it's too late. So we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the love that you have for us 
the love that you've shown for mankind ever since the beginning. And uh, even though that we have sinned, you desire for us to be there at the, at the great wedding feast of the Lamb, Lord. And I, I just thank you for that invitation. And I pray that, that many, many people would accept it uh, before time is over, Lord. And uh, I would just pray that you would encourage our hearts to be bold for you to work in the harvest because the time is short. I pray your blessings on everyone that's in this room, Lord. I pray that your spirit would be upon us. I ask this in your name. Amen.